0: morning, through this psalm, about leadership. And leadership's always in the news, isn't it? Uh, there's always something going on. Um, I don't have a certain Hawaiian holiday up there, but uh, we have, uh, in, in the UK, uh, we have someone being installed again uh, as, the, uh, as the head there. And meanwhile, in the US, across the, what they call the ditch, uh, we've got someone who's, you know, they're plotting to remove. So, so raising up rulers, pulling down rulers, that just seems to be the standard fare in our world. And so this morning we're going to look at what does God think about the rulers of the earth and what's his response to them. As we do that, we're going to be looking at the book of Psalms. This is our overview of the Bible here, uh, from creation all the way through to new creation. And the book of Psalms comes in here with the kings of Israel. Uh, So book of Psalms, fantastic, 150 chapters long, so that'll keep you going, uh, 150 songs. Uh, the, the Psalms, as Stuart said really helpfully last week, are the songbook of the people of God. And so the people of Israel used the Psalms, loved them and used them for all sorts of different occasions, so 150 of them. Of those 150, 73 are directly attributed to King David. And there's two more, including this one actually, Which are also referred to as David's Psalms. And so we get to a number of 75, so half the book, which are attributed to David. How do we know that this psalm is uh, David's psalm? Well, we're told in Acts chapter 4, where this psalm is quoted. This is what it says in Acts chapter 4 You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? That's a little verse from in our psalm here. Now, it doesn't say in the book of Psalms, a psalm of David, but we're told in the book of Acts that it is. And so here we have, of the 150, 75 are written by David, including this one. And there are six other authors, if you want to spend some time this holidays, reading carefully through and noting the other authors, there are six other authors in the book of Psalms as well. Well, here we are, this ancient song written by David, And we're going to find out, how does God relate to worldly power? How does God relate to worldly power? Well, I've been thinking a little bit about worldly power recently by watching The Crown. Has anyone been watching The Crown? If you haven't heard of The Crown, it's uh, the story of uh, the Windsor family um, put together by Netflix. It's pretty amazing. I I really enjoy it. The episode I watched recently uh, concerned a coup which was being plotted against the sitting Prime Minister of England. Probably some people plotting that today as well but uh, this, was, this was way back in the 60s. So a, a coup and a coup is the unauthorized removal of the leader, the unauthorized removal of the leader and you can actually see that that's on the minds of the powers of this world. H- have a look with me as we uh, go to Psalm chapter 2, uh, Psalm 2 and uh, we're going to look at verses 1 to 3 here. Why do the nations conspire, and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up, and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. It's really interesting, what the psalm says is that, uh, in some sense, the enemies of God are in denial. Have a look at verse 1 there, it says, why do the nations conspire, and the people's plot, see what it says there? In vain. Whatever their plan is, it's not going to succeed. It's uh, a denial of reality. And it kind of makes sense. There's no way earthly leaders can take the throne of the one who sits in heaven. Are you with me? You can plot and scheme, but you've got a disparity of place. It's going to be a problem. So the enemies are in denial. But you'll see that they oppose God regardless. So they oppose God and his anointed. Uh, Anointed. Uh, somebody who's had oil tipped onto them, not by accident, it's actually how they're installed as king. So the king is called the anointed because our prophet will have poured holy oil onto their head and said, now you are bearing the mantle of leadership. So here we are, the kings of the earth rise up against the Lord and against his holy king. And thirdly, we see in these verses that they see God's rule as shackles. It's really interesting, right? God, you're holding me back. You're frustrating my freedom. And in fact, that's been the cry right from the start. If we remember back to the Garden of Eden, it was sort of the offer of freedom that was held out by the serpent to Adam and Eve. So they were told, you will be like God. You will be like God. Now you might think to yourself, that's a good offer. Why wouldn't I want to do that? But really what it's saying is, you will rule in place of God. Right? You will rule in place of God. And so freedom for human beings, rebellious, sinful human beings, feels like, let's get rid of God and then I can be the boss. And if you've got children at home uh, at the moment for the holidays, you might have had some personal experience of this uh, recently. We want the overruling ruler removed. That would be much better. Uh, it's interesting. People have been following this idea, get rid of the one in charge, right the way through the ages. And so we get a refrain like this uh, from Time magazine, uh, is God dead? That, that idea, can we remove the ruler and then we'll truly be free? Well, we're going to see in this psalm that that hope is actually frustrated. Well, what's God's response to this opposition? What's the response of the king in heaven to this opposition? Well, again, just staying in the crown land for a little while, it's really interesting to think about rulers, rulers, uh, People who are in charge, most of them, most of them, would just want to be liked, right? Just want to be liked. And so the Windsor family are having some, some issues. So what do they do? Well, their response was to have some PR spin. Let's have a documentary made about the family, and then everyone will love us more if they only knew us more. Now, it backfires pretty spectacularly uh, in the series, but it's interesting. For most people, they want to be liked, It's worth noting in this psalm here, God isn't like us. God isn't like us. Have a look at the verses that follow in verses 4 to 6. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So we think, hey man, I just want to have everybody like, like me. Uh, I think increasingly today that's very difficult for rulers, uh, particularly if you're engaged with Twitter in any way, shape, or form. Someone's going to hate you somewhere. Uh, But we would want to be liked. Here God's saying a totally different response. God's reaction is surprising. What what do we see in these verses? Well, first of all, we see that God laughs. So The nations are conspiring and plotting and raging against God. What's God's response? Well, God laughs. It says in verse 4, The one enthroned in heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. Why does he laugh? It says also that the Lord rebukes them. Uh, He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, third point, God installs. What does he say? Well, he says, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. What does this tell us? Why is God's reaction so different? Well, first of all, we see where God is. Where's God's throne? The one enthroned in heaven laughs at the squabbling rulers of the earth. So where's God enthroned? In heaven. That's why he's able to laugh. There's no threat from the ground. Second, we see that he rebukes. Now, you could make a mistake and rebuke someone who's your superior, but it's far more likely that the one in charge is the one doing the rebuking. And so it shows us that God has absolute power. He just rebukes the earthly leaders. And then he does this other strange thing. God's response is to place his king there so the the rulers of the earth are squabbling and god says well i've got a solution to this i'm going to put my king in place i'm going to put my king in place well where does he put his king in place well he says he puts it his ruler in place in zion Where's zion well zion was the capital of king david the capital was found in the new centre of Israel. So what we don't know is, um, you know, you know, Canberra became the capital of Australia. General knowledge, of course, you know that. Yeah, you know, as a response of a debate between Sydney and Melbourne, don't you? So how will we solve it? We'll put it nowhere. You can't have it, and you can't have it right. We're going to put it over there, okay? And that's literally how it happened. So, but this is, this is Jerusalem. Jerusalem was David's capital. When he was bringing the country together, he said, I'm going to take that city, and that is going to be the center of my nation, that I'm ruling as king. And so it's the new center of Israel. And so Jerusalem, in a very real sense, not only is the capital city of King David, but with God's help, he says, I am going to dwell there. That's going to be my holy place, and that's where the temple was built. And so God says, I'm going to put my ruler in my place and he will rule on my throne. So that's what God's response to the enemies of the earth is. So we see that God is sovereign. Are we, are we surprised by his response? Uh, see, you hear there, he, he's angry and he terrifies them in his wrath. You might think this is just all Old Testament stuff, right? My God's far more fluffy and nice than that. I want to show you a, a passage that might surprise you in the New Testament. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 10, which is full of the love of God, right? it also says this, in uh, chapter 10 and verses 30 to 31, For we know him who said, is talking about God, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then it says this amazing statement, it says, It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Here's the point. The point is the God who rules in heaven doesn't deal with rebels lightly. In fact, God isn't a pushover for those who oppose him. It actually says there it's a dreadful thing to be an enemy of God and to fall into his hands. Brothers and sisters, I've got to tell you this morning, what that means is don't meet God as an enemy. Don't meet God as an enemy. Fall on your knees this morning and beg The God who is in charge of everything to receive you as a son or a daughter. Ask for his forgiveness. It's not good to meet God as your enemy. Well, God is in charge. And again, I just had this little run of crown thing, so apologies about this. But here's Prince Charles at his installation. Uh, He was being made Prince of... anyone know? Look at that. Prince of Wales. Lord of the sea also, is that right? No, it's a place, isn't it, in the United Kingdom? Wales? Yes, see, there's a joke there. With me? Good. Great. Too early. Alright, no, thank you, Thank you. that's helpful. Alright, so he's being installed. And what happens on these, in these circumstances? Well, there is lots and lots of royalty and formality. It's got to look spectacular, otherwise you won't think it's a king or a prince being installed. It has to be, wow. And it's likely that Psalm 2 is a installation psalm that would have been used when the king was installed in Israel. So someone would bring this together and with a whole lot of trumpets and various other bits and pieces, read part of this. Well, how do we see this installation going? Have a look at verses 7 to 9. I'll proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. It's really interesting. We see in verse 7, we see adoption. See there it says, have a look with me. It says, you are my son, today I have become your father. What, why is the king called God's son? Well, we see in 2 Samuel 7, anyone remember, 2 Samuel 7 is one of those parts of the Bible, where you, when I say 2 Samuel 7, you need to go, ah, 2 Samuel 7. All right, all right, so in 2 Samuel 7. Great, okay. Now the reason that you say that is because it's full of great promises. Great promises made to David that will last forever. Have, have a listen to what it says here. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And I will establish his kingdom, and he is the one who will build a throne for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. I will be his father, God says, and he will be my son. There's a great promise in 2 Samuel 7 that the king, to be the king, is to be God's son. To be the king is to be God's son, in a real sense. Secondly, we see that there's inheritance here. Have a look at verse 8. Ask me and I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Who doesn't want to be a king like that, right? I'll give you the nations. Well, where do we get that promise? We see in Isaiah chapter 49, it says this. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be his servant. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those of Israel I've kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You see, God's king, God's true king, has rule over all the nations of the earth. How wonderful. And then thirdly, in this little section here, we see he has power. You will break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like pottery. That the power of God's king is extraordinary, right? We have this wonderful promise in Isaiah chapter 9. I know that you'll remember this when we read it. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace. There will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. I love this line. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So the king that will be installed will be, I made up some word, unopposably unopposedly powerful, unopposedly, what it means is, you can't be an enemy of this king, he will rule in greatness and power. And it says to us, it'll actually come eventually through a child. How wonderful. Who could that be? Cliffhanger, come back at Christmas. Now, uh, I don't know, has anyone been doing any Christmas shopping recently? Anyone yet to do it and looking forward to a traffic jam at Narellin or something tomorrow? Now when you get there, you go, cool, I really want a whatever. And you get there, let's say you want a hat, right? And you go, oh my goodness, you're just overwhelmed with choices, right? Which one do I get? And so we have analysis paralysis and you, you have a headache and you go and have a coffee. or So whatever you do, right? And it takes a little bit longer. So when it comes to Christmas shopping, I reckon at some level, um, they're pretty worthless choices. There, there are some better choices that we can make this Christmas. Have a look with me at verses 10 and following. Therefore, you kings... Be wise. Be warned you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, and celebrate His rule with trembling. Kiss the sun, or He will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So there are some more important choices that we need to make, and the important choices come together around the person who will be the king of God's kingdom. So, I think God's reaction is surprising here. He says that they are to be warned. Therefore, you kings, be wise, be warned. Okay, they're supposed to be warned. They're supposed to be ready to serve. Serve the Lord, it says in verse 11, with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Why? They have to be ready to kiss his son. Ready to kiss. Isn't that a great way to be prepared for Christmas? I want to be ready to kiss. Well, if you have a look, they need to be warned because one day the most powerful people in the world will meet their superior, God's holy king. They need to be ready to serve because this is what it means to fear the Lord. If you fear the Lord, you serve him. You don't rebel against him, you serve him. And we need to be ready to kiss the son because the only choices are worship. That's what it means to kiss the son, to worship him. So the only choices we have are worship or destruction. It's pretty stark, isn't it? Worship or destruction, that's the only response to God's rule. But to those who say, worship, there's a wonderful promise here. Have a look at what it says at the end of verse 12. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Our God will be a mighty fortress to those who fall on their knees and say, you're my king, you're my God. Blessed are all who take, worship, uh, take refuge in him. Well, how should we respond to the God who we meet here in this, uh, in this psalm? The first thing we need to do is we need to work out who is the king? Who is the king? Well, at some level, it's David, right? David was the one who wrote it. And I assume it was his installation. Today you have become my son, I am your father. Thank you, God, that's me. David, right? But is David the king, that this one is looking forward to? Well, not really. Uh, David's great. He's the first true king of Israel, but he's flawed deeply. David can't be the great king we're looking forward to. What about his son Solomon? Those two Samuel 7 promises? Wonderful. Those two Samuel 7 promises are are firstly fulfilled in Solomon, right? And Solomon's awesome and wise and powerful. He probably has the biggest Kingdom that Israel ever is in its history, and yet Solomon, in all of his finery, it's a larger but still tiny kingdom, he's hardly ruling over the kingdoms of the earth, and so he's also desperately flawed. So Solomon can't be the king now. What about Jesus? What do you think, church? Great, fantastic. We're going to give him a big tick, and I'm just going to say, Yeah, of course, right? Of course, the answer is Jesus, right? But how. How is Jesus, this promised king? Well, I want you to see, have a look at uh, these wonderful words that turn up in Matthew, in our Christmas story. All this took took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Where are we going to find a perfect king? Well, what if the king comes to earth? What if the God who rules on his throne in heaven chooses to walk the earth? Emmanuel, God with us. And then listen to these words. You're going to hear them afresh in a fresh way. Okay, uh, In, in uh, Mark chapter 1, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. He had to grow up. You know, Jesus didn't stay in a manger. He came away from the manger, you see. Uh, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open, and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Listen to this. And a voice came from heaven. You are my you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. There's a very real sense in which this is the anointing for rule of Jesus, the one true King that we have been looking forward to. So I want to say to you, Jesus is the promised son who pleased God flawlessly. That's why Christmas is so great. The God who ruled in heaven came to earth to save his enemies, to save his enemies. So who's Jesus? Jesus is Lord in anybody's language, Jesus is Lord. So how should we respond to Jesus as Lord? Well, here's the first thing. Jesus said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age what's our our first response to God's king we can choose to obey him for the nations go and make disciples of all nations if he's the king of all nations how will they come to know the good news when you and I take it out We will choose to take the good news to the nations. Secondly, we see a picture of the end. After this, I looked, and there before me, it says in Revelation, was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, we want to be those, we can choose to be those who bow before Him ourselves. Kiss the Son. Kiss the Son. If you haven't done it before, this is a great day to be saved. Kiss the Son. Bow your knee before Him that we might join that heavenly assembly on the final day. And thirdly, I want to encourage those of you who already kissed the Son, those of you already taking the good news out into the world, can I encourage you this morning... Our God will be a refuge. Listen to these words from Matthew chapter 11. Come to me. Isn't this a good word for Christmas? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart, For and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Church, can I say to you this morning, we can choose to take comfort in him as our refuge take comfort in him as our refuge. Well, while earthly rulers rage, our God powerfully reigns and Christmas reminds us how it's possible. The God who was in heaven came to earth. Let you and I welcome him as our king. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you're a good, mighty, and powerful God. Lord, we've seen this morning that there's no room for us to be your enemies. Father, we thank you that through your Son, born in a manger, crucified in Calvary, we have the opportunity to know you as sons and daughters. Father, we pray this morning not only that we would know it, but that we would take refuge in you, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.